Hello, listener. Just a heads up in case this is a sensitive topic for you. Bobby mentions having a miscarriage. We also talk a lot about being members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and for the most part, we explain terms and stuff as we go, but just to give a little more context, a temple is a building separate from the weekly church buildings, and family home evening is something our church encourages families to do to set aside time one evening each week to spend time as a family. A spiritual message is often incorporated, but it doesn't have to be. It could be as simple as having a game night together as a family. Okay, enjoy the interview! Welcome to Laura Asks About Motherhood, where I, Laura Pruitt, ask my guests about their experiences of being a mom. Today's guest is a very social lady. She's a mom, a wife, a sister, a friend. She enjoys roller skating, gardening, hiking, throwing dance parties and game nights, and homeschooling her five kids. David is 11 years old. Nora is seven. Evie is six, almost seven, Amelia is four, almost five, and Finn is two. Please welcome my friend who I met in Long Beach, Bobby. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on today. So did you know that you always wanted kids? So like when I was a little kid, I feel like there's little girls that like, they kind of like all little kids, like kind of pick like their toys. And I always picked the dolls, not the Barbie dolls, but the baby dolls. So I always had baby dolls everywhere until I was like, embarrassingly enough, 12 years old. <laughs> and so I played with dolls. And then one thing I think baby is a little bit different is that I always adopted my dolls. I never like pretended to be pregnant. I always like, oh, look, someone dropped a baby on my porch. I think I'll keep it. <laughs> so. <laughs> So maybe that's a little bit weird. So I've been fascinated with like adoption since I was a little kid. And so that's a little bit different. But so I did always want to be a mom when I was younger. And then when Matt and I, my husband Matt, when we got married, I was like, oh, I think I don't want to have kids for a long time. And maybe I'll have one kid, which I have some friends that laugh at me now because I would always say, we're going to just have one kid. And so now I have five and, and it's good. So I guess I had a little phase there where I was like a little more apprehensive about kids. But Which is okay. We're allowed to change our mind about these things. That's all right. It's true. How it's old true. were you when you became a mom? I was 23 when I had David. I had been married for two years and I was working at 1-800-CONTACTS and I was driving home from, from work one day and I felt like so strong, like I had a son that needed to be born. And so I went home and I told Matt, we should pray about having a baby. And I really did not want to have a baby at that point. So I was like, we should pray. So we prayed about it for a long time, but I already knew the answer and didn't want to listen. <laughs> so so we prayed for a few months and then right when we took the birth control out, I was like pregnant right then. So 
And then, so then came David. Hey, David. Yes. Mm-hmm. How did your age affect your mothering or did it? So I think I was really young. And so I wasn't like um, too set in my ways or anything. And then also I had a lot of energy. So I think it, it made things a little bit easier. Yeah, I think that's the only way. I just, I wasn't too set in my ways and I had a lot of energy to, to do everything with him. So great. What was it like to shift to the role of mom? So I had a lot of babysitting experience when I was younger. So I like started babysitting when I was like 11 and living. I grew up in Orem, Utah. So then every family on the block went to our church and had like five kids. So like have an 11 year old babysit your five kids, which is like totally unfair to everybody (laughs) anyway. But then I also had a lot of nieces specifically nieces because I had no nephews at that point. And I, I knew a lot about a lot more about babies and toddlers than I think maybe the average first mom does. So my sister had like had twins and her husband was in Iraq and they lived in the house with us when I was 15. So I like helped her with her babies a lot when she lived with us for a year plus so I understood the newborn stage really well and yeah, understood. I also had been like a live-in nanny before and things like that. So I think it wasn't that much of a shock to me. It just kind, kind of came naturally because I had done a lot of stuff like that already. Great. Did becoming a mom change the way others saw you or treated you? I don't know. if. <laughs> So one thing I notice, especially, so now we live in um, North Georgia and we did live in Southern California for 10 years. So I guess I just noticed like differences in how people treat me here and how people treated me in Los Angeles and Long Beach. But a lot of the times it's just different. I guess when women see me with children they treat me nicer and like with more respect I think and then um men are actually nicer to me when I have no children with me so things like that which is weird and then also when people see that I have five children and they're with me they treat me like it in Los Angeles it was something that basically every person had to comment on and it was usually negative stuff that they would say to me Rude. and then yeah like oh you know how that happens or um you don't have to rude. repopulate the earth oh on your gosh. own yeah. that's so rude <laughs> so and then so then my second child Nora is adopted and she's Latina and then my husband and I are uh, Caucasian so then my husband is half Scandinavian so he is like Blonde hair and blue eyed, and my kids are all blonde hair and blue eyed. And then, then Nora it has dark hair and darker skin than us. And so everyone in Los Angeles would have to comment on that too. And so they would be like, Whoa, you have a lot of kids. Are they all yours? Even the dark one? And I'd be like, Oh. And so 
it was like everywhere we went, people were worried about how many kids I had and why they were different colors. And they wanted to talk to me about her adoption story, but not in a polite way. So actually in Georgia, they treat me so much better here. So it's more of like a celebrated thing when I have five kids with me instead of like in California, I felt like people felt we were in their way or would treat us like we were always in their way of getting where they needed to go and do what they needed to do. And we're just so shocked that someone would have the audacity to have five children. And then here, like we have literally had, we had an Italian guy sing to us in Costco because he thought our family was so beautiful. (laughs) Like, And then like today we were at this like event at the school that's close by to us. Finn dropped his papers and there's this guy like carrying all this stuff, like a heavy table and all these bins and this line of like five people behind him and Finn dropped his papers. So he's bending down to like clean them up. And I'm like, Oh, sorry. Sorry. And he's like, no, no, no. Let him pick up his papers. He's doing a great job. We'll just wait right here for him. (laughs) They like waited there for like three minutes while my toddler needed to pick up his papers that he had. And, and everybody just, here just seems delighted to have children even though i mean there are children everywhere you know here so it is different i mean compared to living here in north georgia which we've only lived here for a year and a half and then compared to how people treated us in los angeles wow that is really interesting so it's not so much the fact that you didn't have kids and then you had kids it just based on where you lived was the biggest thing you noticed yeah well, and it's interesting because in California, people would always be like, oh, if you move to the South, like when we said we're moving there, like people there are so racist, you know, it's going to be so hard for Nora to be you know, the only brown person there. But then here, I have literally only had three people ask me why I have a different color child the whole time that I've lived here. And nobody like bats an eye about it here. And I think one of the reasons is because this is speculation, but adoption is, is big here. And so there's a lot of mixed families, but there's also like mixed race couples and families too. And and maybe people just aren't as nosy here, which is weird because it's different than what people tell you in the South. They'll tell you that the South is so nosy, but people here haven't been as nosy or like as concerned about, the colors of families as they were in Los Angeles, which is like completely against, you know, what everyone tells you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's really surprising. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, still, you've told me this before, like outside of our recording today about all the like really rude invasive questions that people ask you. And it still shocks me. (laughs) What the heck? Oh man. It was like, it was just constantly, in California, people were so just, I don't know, they were so obsessed with it. And everywhere we went, we were just like, I felt like we were like the traveling circus as I would like go through the store. People would be so confused why I had so many children and why they were different colors. And they would talk about it. Like I would get asked like five times in a trip, in a shopping trip, what was going on with my children. So it's actually, since we've moved here, like Nora, when we used to live in California, she was so worried about 
being a different color than everybody else. And here she doesn't worry about it because no one brings it up or talks about it. It doesn't seem like a big deal here. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting. Hopefully that so. has helped her like feel more at ease in her own skin too. I think it has. I think she's like, mm, it doesn't stress her out as much as it used to. Mm-hmm. So did becoming a mom change the way you, you saw others or treated others? I mean, I think so. I think, I mean, you always hear like how moms are so judgy of each other. You know, you always hear that. And so I guess in a way it's so awful. I have to like focus on it. Like if I can see somebody who I expect higher, like I have higher expectations of their mothering and I see them like being lazy or, you know, things like that, I get kind of judgy of them. I like, and I feel like really terrible. So sometimes I have to like really like keep it low and then just remember that everyone is doing the best with what they've been given. You know, as I do see, like, I see people doing the best with what they've been given and I can recognize that. But then other times I have people that I expect more of. And when I see them not coming up to my expectations, which aren't necessarily right then I, I will judge them. And I feel, I feel like it's something that I need to work on. So, yes. (laughs) I really appreciate your openness. I don't know that many people would admit to something like that, but it's something that I think everyone does. Oh, and everywhere you are, people are telling you like exactly what they think too. And giving you so much advice about all the things they're like, and everywhere you go, I mean, just basically most people have had kids too. So like even the old people here are giving me advice, you know, and in California, they give you, you know, advice too. So everywhere you go, they're going to tell you there's a better way to do whatever you're doing. And they want to know really invasive things here. I don't feel like it's as much, but People wouldn't want to know, are you vaccinating your kids? Why or why not? Are you breastfeeding? Are you swaddling? Are you like, what kind of carrier do you use? Oh, my carrier is better than your carrier. Like, it's like really, it's things that, that people are, they want to talk openly about, you know? And it's pretty interesting because, oh, and like circumcision, people will tell you, you know, if they think circumcision is right or wrong. And it's a lot, there's a lot of, you know, personal, really personal questions that people want to get into when you have kids. That last one in particular is very surprising to me because it's like, why are you talking about my son's penis? You know, like why are you talking Mm -hmm. about the kid's genitalia? I don't need to talk to you about that. That's really weird to me that it's, yeah, I've always found that to be really weird. Oh yeah. And it's a big, like a big debate, like within mom's I think maybe in Georgia, things are like more mainstream. So I think maybe they just expect everyone to be circumcised. But in California, it's like a really big debate. You know, like, is it like mutilation or, you know, is it good for their health or, you know, things like that. And so they moms, they talk about it there and they'll have like big debates on which one is right or wrong. And I, I personally, I don't know the answer, you know. So, and, and I don't, but some moms feel really strongly about it. So, yeah. 
I have found that some moms feel really strongly about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I guess that's true for everybody, but it just seems like things are so, so heightened when it comes to parenthood and to, and parenting. Well, I think it's like, it's so personal. If someone is doing something different than you, like, people automatically assume that maybe you're insulting them by choosing something different or you're saying that the way that you're doing it is better, but it's not necessarily true. You know, like I love to swaddle babies because I feel like it makes parenting easier for a newborn, but so David and Nora both love being swaddled and then Evie hated it. And I couldn't figure out why she would cry all the time. You know, and by the time you have your third baby, you're like, oh, I'm a pro. I know exactly how to do all this stuff, you know, and then then you have this baby that just won't stop crying. You can't figure it out. Well, come to figure out when she was strong enough to get her arm out of the like crazy tight swaddle I was doing, because that was the right way to parent a newborn. She wanted to suck her fingers. And so she couldn't calm herself down because she wanted to suck her fingers so bad. And if I had not, like, if I had tried something different than what I had tried, she would have been happier. I would have been happier. But I think even in your own family, you have to be looking at, there are different ways to parent people and do trial and error. And if something's not working, you got to try something else. So parenting though is so, so personal and it is so stressful to like if you get this wrong you will like ruin a person's life (laughs) sometimes is how I feel like if I don't homeschool my kids right then it can ruin their life forever and so it's really stressful when someone's like tell you homeschooling is bad and then it's really stressful because you're already stressed inside about about it you know you don't want to mess this up you you know you've got just you know this one I would say one chance, but I mean, every day you have a chance, you know, to make it right with your kids. So I guess it's all so personal. Yeah. And I guess this conversation is just a good reminder to like give each other grace and even yourself, just like try not to Mm -hmm. try not to be too hard on yourself or the people around you. Yeah. And we're all doing, you know, what we can and doing, you're doing the best with what we've been given. And what is right for one kid may not not be right for the next kid or the next family or for the next mom or dad or, you know, things like that. So, or even situation. So. So you talked about how you got a spiritual prompting before David was born. How about the rest of your kids? Were any of your kids planned? So David and Nora and Finn were planned. So Nora, Matt, and I always joke is our most planned baby because (laughs) we had to work on adopting her for two years before we got her. So so much planning, so much legal stuff, so much um, paperwork to to get her. And it was such a hassle. And so we would always be like, I'd be like, you know what? I don't want to adopt anymore. This is too much work. This is too hard. Everything is going wrong. It must not be right. And then I would like literally say that to Matt this one time I was, I've seen that to him in the car. We should just stop the adoption process because this is not right. This is, 
it's, it's too hard. It's taking too long. And then all of a sudden I had a thought come in my mind. You need to go to Trader Joe's for something. Like, uh, okay, Matt, let's go to Trader Joe's. Oh, never mind. Let's go home. Oh, let's go to Trader Joe's. So we go to Trader Joe's and I run in by myself. And there's this lady in there with this tiny little baby in the line that I'm in. And I was like, oh my goodness, how old is that baby? And then she starts talking to me. He's just a couple weeks old. And she got him through foster and told me what a blessing it's been and how awesome it was. And I knew at that point, oh, you're supposed to, you're supposed to adopt. Like I had just decided literally 15 minutes before that I wasn't going to. And then I go in with like Nora's adoption. I mean, God was planning it, you know, for us. And I would keep having like my doubts and then he would reassure me again and again. And it's interesting because we adopted Nora through foster care in LA and like the likelihood of a kid coming to you as a newborn and staying in your home is just like almost nothing. So she came and I never even for one second thought that she wasn't my child. Like from the second that I met her, she was mine. And so, but even before that, I'm sorry, she was my child. And so, you know, whenever things are even hard now, I just have to remember that she's been my child, you know, all this time. And God directed her to me and directed me to her and has given me so many um, confirmations that, you know, she was so planned. I mean, in my, in my mind, Nora has been planned to be in my family before I even came here. So she's very planned, but we had been trying to adopt Nora. Well, a baby for two years and then we get Nora. And then five days later, I find out I'm pregnant and I was so pissed. I was so upset. I was like, no, this cannot be happening to me because this is going to be too hard. I can't do this. <laughs> like, I don't want to have two babies at the same time. That's too hard. And then I was in Costco. I guess my whole life I'm in Costco, right? And <laughs> I was in Costco and I had Nora in this wrap. And you can't tell that I'm pregnant because I'm just newly pregnant. I have her in a wrap and she has got this like thick mop of hair. And she was five pounds when I brought her home. So she's this tiny little newborn with tons of hair. And so this lady in line with me is like, oh, are you carrying a doll? And I was like, no, this is a real baby. <laughs> and then she's, she's like, oh, she's so tiny. My twins are that small. They, but now they're, they're 18 months and they won't sleep anymore because they're too big. And so they don't fit in the same crib anymore. And they're so used to sleeping together that they can't sleep anymore. And then I just, uh, I was just saying these words. They came out of my mind, like my mouth, but I hadn't even thought them before. And I was like, I think twins are such good friends in heaven that they insist on coming down together. And then I just started crying because I knew that the reason my baby in my tummy and the baby I was holding, they were here at the same time because they insisted on it and they were sisters. And so they insisted on being here together. From then on, I was like, okay, this is, God has directed this or 
you know, and these girls insisted on this. So that's why this is happening, you know? So even though maybe Matt and I weren't planning on having two babies at the same time, by any means, God was planning on it and my girls are planning on it. So they may not have been planned by me, but planned by God. Mm-hmm. So. so sweet. And then I don't know if this is too much. No, keep going. I love it. Okay. So Millie, totally an accident. And she's like my crazy, crazy girl. And then Finn, I actually, I had a miscarriage before Finn. And then Matt was kind of like, oh, maybe that's a sign we weren't supposed to have a baby. And then my sign was, oh, this, that spirit needs to come down and needs to be here. So we need to have another baby. But so when Nora got sealed to us in the temple, you know, because so do you want me to explain that a little bit or? Sure, if you want to. Okay. So like in our like religion, we believe that if you get married in the temple, then you are married in the next life. And so your children that you have after that are automatically, you know, would be sealed to you is what we would say in the next life as well. But when you adopt a child, you need to like basically add them to your eternal family. So then um, we went to the temple with Nora to have her sealed to our family when she was 15 months old. Um, One of my best friends there and she's older. She told me that she felt like there was a little boy there waiting to come down. And I was like, Oh yeah. Cause we're going to adopt another boy. And then she's like, I don't think he was adopted. And I was like, Oh, and then, Then when I had Amelia, I was so mad that she wasn't a boy because then that meant that I needed to have another baby (laughs) to like fulfill that. And so I was so annoyed. But then after I had the miscarriage, which was at 14 weeks, so it was like further along, I was like, felt even stronger. Like I need to have one more baby because he needs to be here. So I know it sounds crazy to plan like having a fifth child because so many people are like, well, that's so many kids. But I mean, Finn is the joy of all of our lives. He's just like the greatest thing ever. So I'm so glad he's here. That's so sweet. I'm so sorry about your miscarriage. That sounds really painful, like maybe physically, but definitely emotionally. Well, 14 weeks is a long time to have a baby. And then, you know, and I learned... I mean, a couple things that I learned from that miscarriage, I don't feel like a huge loss from it because I do feel like Finn was that like came, you know, I feel like he came later and maybe there's something wrong with that body and he needed a different one. So I feel like that's okay. But the couple things that I learned is like in American culture, at least, I don't know how it is for the rest of the world, people tend not to tell people that they're pregnant until after 12 weeks because they're worried that they're going to lose the baby and they don't want people to know. And I think that is a dangerous culture to be in because when you lose a baby, you need support and you need love and we're hiding it. And so we have all these moms who are just suffering and they don't have, you know, the support that they need because they have kept it a secret. So in reality, we should be telling, in my own view, we should be telling people sooner so that if we do lose a baby, we can get the support that we need because it's hard, you know. 
emotionally and physically. It's hard. And then the other thing that I learned was that, oh man, well, I already knew some of this and you, you know that our healthcare system for women is just so terrible. And I started bleeding from that miscarriage and my signs that I had had, I thought I was having, having a tubal pregnancy. And so I called I'm a doctor in my area. At that time, I was living in Silmar, like North Los Angeles. And we had just moved there from Long Beach, where I worked at a midwifery. But I could not find a doctor in my area that would help me because they didn't understand how to bill my insurance. And so I had to call literally 16 different doctors until I found someone that would help me even figure out my insurance. That's pretty gross. While you're actively bleeding and you're like, I'm probably miscarrying this child as we speak. Ugh, that's so gross. Yeah. And then as like a tubal pregnancy, you can die from that. Right. And no one would help me. So because they didn't understand how to bill my insurance. And that was the reason why (laughs) I had good insurance, you know, and like through my husband's company and yet no one, they didn't understand. And it took to like, I don't know what it's that last doctor I, I called, I went through, they transferred me to like the manager of like the insurance billing person. And he went through so many hoops to figure out how to bill my insurance. He was doing his job. The first person, I mean, how, so I'm, I'm thinking like how many women are there out there who do are not getting the help that they need because you know, and for me to call 16 different doctors is really hard when you have four kids, right? To like find the time to call all those doctors is really hard. And then um, ended up doing like two was calling the old midwifery um, office that I used to work for and the midwives that um, helped me deliver million Evie. And they helped me too, even though they knew that they weren't going to get any money for it. You know, they helped me more than any of the offices would that were nearby. So, yeah, I learned a couple things from that now that, and I feel really passionate about, you know, we need to get our health care for our women and so much better. And we need to support our women so much more. Yeah, definitely. Uh, listeners can't hear, but I am nodding my head vigorously. <laughs> That's why I was laughing because you're like nodding so big. <laughs> yes. Oh my word. Oh, that's awful. How are you mm-hmm. doing now? I'm good. Yeah. With all that, I mean, I feel like if I could take what I learned and then just support other women in those things, you know, that is what our life is about is you go through trials in your life, I think to learn and to help. So if I can take that trial that I had, that was hard for me and I can put it towards something good now, then that would, you know, that makes it worth it. If I can help other women get through, through those hard times and find the help that they need. Beautiful. Because it is definitely very needed. Mm-hmm. How has your mothering changed after each kid? 
or has it? Oh man. Well, I think like with David, there were things, I mean, I had been a live-in nanny and the babysitter for many years. So when I had David, I guess I expected to know everything about it, but I didn't, I didn't know anything about breastfeeding. I just like thought that it was going to be like super easy. And then like teaching a kid how to sleep, but you have to like legit teach your kid to sleep. It's a skill that they have to learn. And so I just like thought I could read a book about it and then just apply it. And then, and that's kind of how I started my parenting journey with David is like, I don't know this. I'm going to read a book about it and then I'll just do it, you know? So now I feel like instead of just reading like one chosen book, you could read a plethora of books and then, you know, interpret it in your own way and do what's best for you that way. But I do feel like maybe as I'm older and I get less sleep with all the children that I have, I am a more tired parent, but I also feel like I have to try harder. And I feel like it's so much more important that I do a better job because I, I want these kids to grow up and be like really good, functional, kind, hardworking human beings. And everything that I do now is going to affect them in the future. So it's, I guess I think more about that than I did when I was just parenting David. It was more like a, it was more relaxed when I just had one kid, you know, but then now, you know, like David could go anywhere and do anything with me. So like we'd go to Europe with David and, and it was easy and it was fine, you know, to go anywhere with David. And he was my little buddy for those four years. And it was so fun. And then now with five, it's like, I have to manage all of their, their schedules and everything they have to learn, you know, for me to fit in everyone, you know, I have three kids taking piano lessons and two kids taking violin lessons. And then um, when we start ballet and sports and then we also homeschool. So I have to make sure everyone can read and there is no one else that's going to teach them that. I have to make sure everyone can do math and tell time and tie their shoes, like little things like that. And, and just getting five people to eat the food that you give them and making food for all those people. It's a lot of like managing all the people and managing their, even their eating and wiping their butts and like, do they have matching shoes on before you go somewhere? <laughs> it's like, there's so much managing with five people. So when it was just David, like things were so much slower and my house was so much cleaner. And then now just like managing all the things that they have to learn. It can be kind of stressful, you know, to just to, to make sure that they know everything that they need to know. You know, it's hard. I guess that's the difference. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's a lot of logistical things. You have to like be aware of all the little details and have to keep track of all the little details, which can be a lot of those things. It sounds like it could be easy to slip through the cracks. Like if it's like a scheduling thing, like this person has to be there. This person has to be there. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> well, and then like even managing all their emotions is really hard too. And like, like I don't have to manage all of their emotions, but you have to help a four-year-old manage her emotions, you know? And then also it really stresses me out 
how to make sure each of them feels loved every day and like gets the time that they need from their mom and like that they know that they are my most important. They are my most important thing. So even that alone is, is really hard to manage. Like I have to make sure, you know, they need to be touched like every day and having an 11 year old boy, like you wouldn't think that he needs to be touched, but that he needs to be touched by his mom in order to feel good. Like, so like, I always joke with David, I'm like, you're 11. So you need to make sure you get 11 hugs from me every day. Like help me remember that you need 11 hugs <laughs> because otherwise, you know, he's not getting what he needs. So it's a lot of people to manage for sure. A lot of people. And then to make sure that you hug your husband and kiss your husband enough too. on top of that is a lot of work. So, yeah. That's sweet. 11. He's 11 years old. So he gets 11 hugs. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, so I feel like the other kids, like they are going to take what hugs and kisses they need and they are sure to do it. So like Finn, he's two. He gets touched by me almost all day long right and then plus I still breastfeed him so then he's getting that and then Millie you know always she's four but she wants me to carry her sometimes still and she wants to lay with me and sit with me and read books with me and play Barbies with her so like she makes sure that she gets what she needs and Evie and Nora are both pretty cuddly people too I think they manage that like they need to be touched by their mom like all the time and then but David does not he's not going to ask for it ever so if I don't initiate it then he's not going to get it it's something that I have to like set a goal for (laughs) to hug him 11 times or otherwise he's not going to get what he needs Mm -hmm. and that's a good reminder that's just another example of how like you know each of your kids are different people and they have different needs and they have different circumstances so they're going to be parented differently by you Mm -hmm. just because that's who they are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's interesting how my, none of my kids are the same and it's a testimony to me. Like every person is so different and you just got to adjust and learn how to love like every type of person out there. And that is one thing I love to meet people and I love to talk to people everywhere. And it's fun to see how different everyone is. And sometimes there are people that I find so tricky to love. And so. (laughs) Very diplomatic way of saying that. (laughs) You are hard for me to love right now. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that God would really love it if we could learn how to love every single type of person. You know, especially the people that are tricky to love. So it's interesting to me that all the different kinds of people out there, and even in my own family, everyone's so different. Beautiful. I think that's a good segue into, we're going to jump around the questions. How does your religion affect your mothering? We've talked a lot about it already. Um, I guess I try to. So when we homeschool in the morning, we have a, like, a religious lesson first is the first thing that we do. And then we also pray, you know, so much. And I don't think I prayed this much when Matt and I were just together or when we just had David, but we have like taught our kids to pray. And Evie 
my six-year-old, she loves to pray and she never, ever, ever, ever forgets to pray. So like, she'll be like, oh, we have to have prayer. And I'm like scooping food into my mouth. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> so we just like say endless amounts of prayer. And then plus like she never forgets to pray for people in our lives. So like we have so many people going through hard things and she never forgets. And so we have this like long list of people that we need to pray for. So we say so many prayers and we include it in our homeschooling. And then we also, you know, we'll read scriptures to them before we go to sleep at night. And so, I mean, it's a big part of our lives. Plus I'm like the primary president. So I'm the person in charge of all the kids at church. And so I guess I, I like have to make sure that I'm like really doing all of these things with my kids because I feel like I have to, I don't know. I was like, we'll look bad if my kids don't know any of that stuff when we're at church. <laughs> I know that's like, maybe that sounds awful, but I'm like, I need to make sure that I'm going through these lessons so that they know it. But also I guess like, my husband, okay, he says the world's longest prayers. Like sometimes it just kills me because he prays so long. <laughs> I like, I cannot pray that long. But <laughs> my prayers are, they basically like consist of praying for my children. Like that is like my biggest plea to the Lord is just please help me girl these kids right and protect them and like in all honesty keep them alive like because sometimes they make it hard i mean every day <laughs> just to like to keep these kids alive i think they may have like several guardian angels like surrounding each one so seriously it's hard <laughs> so yeah i guess my, my prayers now have changed from like please help me to do this or worry about other things. And now they're just consist of like, please help me parent the right way. That's what they are. Great. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh too much into the microphone because I'm I sure mean, it's distracting, but <laughs> you're cracking me up over here. <laughs> I know. I'm like, the spiritual question is the one that made me laugh the most. I'm so sorry. That went the wrong way. No, 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 I love it. So how does having, I guess, just to kind of, it, it's all kind of connected. How does having Matt around affect the way you mother, your husband? Um, so those years, like when we lived in Long Beach, Matt worked so much. It was awful. So like, <laughs> I'm going to talk so much bad. I feel like California and I had a bad breakup. So but the culture there is work, 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 work. And then the culture in accounting culture is work, 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 work. So when you have like LA culture mixed with like accounting culture, it's just like, it's so extreme. So he was just working. He would literally leave for work at 4.30 in the morning so that he could beat traffic. And then he wouldn't get home until like 8. 8.30 at night yeah. and it just consumed his life because if he left before his bosses left, then he was going to get in trouble. But if he, if he left our house at a regular time, it would take him two hours to get to work. Mm. So if he left at 4.30, it would take him 45 minutes. If he left at six, two hours. And then to get home, it was two hours every day. So he wasn't there that much in those years, which was really hard. 
And like right after I had Amelia, I could feel like my craziness coming out, which was like postpartum depression. I felt it was so hard, you know, and I would reach out to people and be like, I think I have postpartum depression. Look at this list. I have literally everything on this list is on me. And I would ask people for help, like literally like say that to people, my, my best friends or even to Matt. And then they'd be like, you're fine. There's nothing wrong. And they just brushed me off. And so I had to take it into my own hands and be like, okay, I'm going to go crazy. I need to eat healthier. I need to sleep as much as I can. And I need to exercise, which I know doesn't always work for everybody, but that is what I did. And I'm so social. I needed to have people around me. So I started, I got a double jogger and I think you ran with me a lot too back in the day, but David would always ride his bike and I'd put all three of my babies in that double jogger. Cause I could put two in one side of that Bob jogger and I would go jogging, you know, the, at dinner time, right when Matt's supposed to be home, but he was never home. So I'd pack all my kids a sandwich and some veggies in a little Ziploc. And that's what we would eat for dinner. They would eat dinner while I jogged and then it would help me feel better. So it was really those years of isolation were really hard parenting years. And I feel like I have so few memories of those years because I think I was so tired and so stressed out. So those were hard years. But then um, once we moved up to Silmar where and Matt was working in Burbank, like, and Hollywood area. And then it was so much closer for us. Things got so much better for us there. And then here, you know, he's home so much more. So it's so nice. It is really nice to have a, a partner when you parent. And then he's also is like, he's really good to me too. He treats me really well. And so like, to have him treat me like gold and, and he appreciates, you know, what I'm doing. And so, and supports me all the way. And so then like, like in his really long prayers that he says, he'll like talk about how he's so grateful for all the hard work I'm doing with our kids to educate them and things like that. I'm like, Oh, I better make sure I really am doing those things <laughs> because Matt's praying for it, you know, but it's good to have a partner that, and he, he makes sure. So I go roller skating every Tuesday by myself. It's really nice that I, you know, I have a night where I can go with my friend and I've made a whole bunch of friends at the skating rink, which is so silly. But we go like, it's like a big dance party out on the rink and it's, it's really fun. So he, he never mumbles or gripes about me going you know, or going out with a friend or anything like that. He's always, oh yeah, you go. And I know like other parents, like other dads that they can't put their kids to bed by themselves or they can't, you know, take care of their kids or, or won't help. And Matt is not like that. Like he's, he's always changed diapers. He can put babies to sleep. He can, you know, he can put all five kids to bed by himself and then do the dishes after. And, you know, so he's really... He is really good with our kids. And even like he's the primary song leader at church and he can take care of, you know, 54 other kids on Sundays too and entertain all of them. 
by himself. So it's a huge primary. Oh my word. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, but we have it, I mean, we have it split up, you know, into sections, but Matt gets up there and he can teach all those kids how to sing and he can have all their attention and he is funny. He has all the, you know, primary teachers laughing too. So, but he can get up there and entertain all the kids at church too. So he doesn't mind playing with all the kids at the park, but we went swimming last night and there's just like this four-year-old little girl who just basically swam with Matt the whole entire time because (laughs) she liked him. And then he was also playing with all the kids in the whole pool. He's playing like a shark game that they made up and he can do that. So I'm really lucky in the husband department because he takes really good care of me and really good care of our kids. He's so. a pretty great guy. Mm-hmm. He does a good job. So sweet. Oh, I just love hearing people gush about their family. It's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lucky lady. So how does your culture affect your mothering? I'm like trying to think of like which culture. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to think of which culture because there's like I feel like there's so many cultures in mothering that I'm involved in so like when we lived in Long Beach we had a huge homeschooling community there and the homeschoolers in Long Beach are so hippie right and so they breastfeed their babies for a long time like sometimes till they're five years old and they baby wear and they homeschool and they co-sleep and they do, you know, all those sorts of things. So, I mean, they did have a big effect on me. Those were right as I was making big foundations in my parenting, right? And so, um, like my culture, when I grew up in Utah, the culture there is to breastfeed your baby till they're one. And so, when David hit 13 months and he kind of like showed uh, less interest in breastfeeding I was like Oop, he's done and then it was over and it was fine also like the culture in Utah at least like in my family you don't co-sleep you co-sleep for like a little bit and then you put your baby in their own room in their own bed with the baby monitor and you just let them cry it out and sleep but in California I mean people are like morally opposed to babies crying it out there so I was learning from there and I think now I'm like somewhere in the middle And again, like with my kids, like they're all different. So like David, we did cry it out with, and I actually don't know. I like, I don't know if I think that was a healthy thing for him because he just was so, he didn't want to do it and he wouldn't. And then Nora basically never had to because she was in the NICU for 11 days before we got her. And so she basically was, had already been, had already done cry out. And so she was really easy to teach how to sleep. And then Evie. So what we guess, what we kind of did was like somewhere in the middle. It's like we would have our babies always sleep in our closet. (laughs) So, you know, in Long Beach, we lived in like 800 square foot back house with four children. And our babies always slept in the closet. So then I would go breastfeed them at night. And then when I felt like they're old enough, I wouldn't go over anymore. Matt would go over and give them like a sippy cup of water. And they would be so like mad that Matt was there instead mm-hmm. of me because they wanted milk, you know, that eventually after just a few nights, they would get it and start sleeping by themselves. 
I guess I could see the cultural differences in Utah and in California were just so different. And then even in like birthing babies, like in my culture in Utah, it was like, you just go to the hospital and you read like what to expect when you're expecting. And you read a couple of pamphlets from the doctor and then you just go have your baby and do whatever they tell you to. And hopefully it works out, you know? And then I had such a bad experience with David's birth that I did not want to do that again. And so when I moved to California and I saw there's this like this natural birthing world that I had no idea about. I got immersed in it and read all the books and eventually became a doula. I learned a lot about it. And so there are different parenting cultures involved there. So, and eventually, I mean, I breastfed Evie and pumped for Nora um, well, she she had formula and then donated breast milk from people at church like half the time as an adopted baby, which I think is so cool because I don't think many adopted babies get that. And then when she was 15 months old, she would just like, because Nora's a super visual learner. So she likes to watch, even now she watches someone do something 20 times before she'll even try it one time because she's going to do it right. And so she would watch Edie breastfeed and I knew she was watching and I would pump a bottle for Nora on the other side. Eventually Nora learned how to breastfeed. So, which is like really bizarre, apparently for a baby. She was 15 months old. She learned how to breastfeed when she was 15 months old, which is like older than most people breastfeed too, you know? And then I breastfed her till she was 25 months and then I was pregnant with Amelia. So I co-breastfed Nora and Evie. And then when then Millie, I I breastfed till she was two. And then Finn is he turned two this last May and he's still breastfeeding. But it's interesting here because people, this is another thing. People are so opinionated about breastfeeding. And I am really opinionated about breastfeeding. But people will be like, want to know, well, how long are you going to breastfeed him for? You know, and they, they criticize you for breastfeeding for two years. Like even today, my friend's like, oh, as soon as my babies get teeth, they're off because I do not want them to bite me. You know, so it's just, it's interesting moving like state to state. You can see the difference in cultures and breastfeeding and stuff too. It's really different. Yeah. Even where you live in the United States is different. But then, like, if you move, like, I have a friend here from Brazil, and her baby is a little bit older than Finn, and she's still breastfeeding him. And, you know, she's just going to keep breastfeeding until he's done, because that's what you do in Brazil is you just keep breastfeeding. And in a lot of cultures, you just, you breastfeed for a lot longer than the United States. So I think that culturally, I mean, culturally moving from, Southern California to North Georgia mothering is way different. So I think maybe people think I'm a little bit crazy here when I'm like, Oh no, they can't eat that. <laughs> you know, the red 40, my kids don't eat the food coloring. And in California, people are like, can I give your kid this? You know, it has this in it. And then, or they'll be like, it's organic, you know, don't worry. And then here, like our first week of church here, my kids literally came away with like goldfish crackers, gummies, a donut, and homemade chocolates in one week, in one Sunday. 
And I was like, holy cow, this is way different than in California where they pass out oranges and string cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so way different. Yeah, which is why I leave the question so open-ended. And like, it's really open to what culture you're in, you're living in, what culture you identify with. Yeah, it's because it can be so different. Yeah, I guess I have so many different cultures that like I subscribe to, I guess, because I have like the homeschooling culture that we're in. And then there's also like a little bit of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints culture that I grew up in. And then the Utah culture, which I think is different than the church's culture, but the Utah, Utah Valley culture, you know, is, is different. And then the culture in, in Long Beach and LA, you know, those are all cultures. And everywhere I go, I guess it shapes me a little bit more as I go. But if I could like just go back in time now and like just start parenting David again, now with like and just keep all the same knowledge I think I would be so much better (laughs) at parenting if I I feel a little bit more well-rounded now you know in all this stuff there's something to be said about like what am I trying to say I guess try just reminder to give yourself more grace David is a good Mm -hmm. kid you've done a really good job with him and the things you know now are the things you know now you didn't know them back then so now you now you know better, you do better, you know, but you didn't know the things back then. You're still mm-hmm. like learning and figuring it out. And that's okay. There was one Sunday, there was a lady at church who gave a talk about how, like, you know, we're imperfect people, but God still expects us to parent. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but we're imperfect. Yeah. <laughs> and it, honestly, I don't have kids, but it like really helped me have a lot more uh, compassion toward my own parents, like really trying to understand that nobody's perfect. The only perfect person was Jesus Christ. Right. And mm-hmm. everyone else is imperfect. And so it's just a reminder to be a little bit more patient with ourselves and the people around us as much as possible. David's a good kid. You've done really good with him. You are yes. doing really good with him. Thank you. I'm trying. I mean, and that's the best. I can only do the best with what I've been given. Right. So, mm-hmm. and I do, I have like a couple sisters that are really resentful to my my parents for raising them as members of the church, but I'm like, they were doing what they like really thought what was right, you know? And it is so hard to, to parent perfectly all the time. And it is, I mean, the fact that I'm even like thinking about it and trying to, I think is a big step, you know, in the right direction, but like, there's so much, so much that goes into it. And so, and it's so exhausting. And then like when your kid does behave poorly, it reflects poorly on yourself. And then you're like, oh, what can I do to, to help them? You know, and it, and it also like affects the whole family. If like one kid is behaving poorly, then, you know, then it makes life hard for, you know, all five kids. And so then, and for me and for Matt, and then, I know I need to have more grace with myself and, and more grace for others. And sometimes we're just so tired, you know, it's hard to have more. I know I need to give myself more grace. Yeah. But you're like, it's easier, easier said than done. Mm -hmm. So what kind of relationship do you have with your mom? So she lives in Arizona. Did you know that? Uh (laughs) (laughs) 
She lives in Tucson. Um, and she's remarried because my dad passed away when I was 19. So she's remarried to somebody else. And so then um, I guess I see her like once a year. She'll come out and visit me. And then um, we talk on the phone probably every other week. So, I mean, I'm not as close as I wish that we were. I guess I, I wish that there was a way. I don't know. I, I know this sounds ridiculous. I like, I read it. One of my favorite parenting books is called Hold On to Your Kids. It's a really good parenting book. So, um, but he talks about in that book, how like having a relationship with grandparents is like really good for little kids growing up and having a community is really, really good. And that is something we've always lived far away from our families. And so um, I've always kind of wished that we had, I had a, my mom closer to me to help me raise kids, you know, something we're working on, but she is coming like in a month or so. Oh, yay. Mm-hmm. Did your relationship with your mom change after you became a mom? I guess I just have more, I'm kind of like in awe and like have more respect for her because my mom had nine children. And so, like, managing the time with my five is so hard, like I I said earlier. And I just cannot believe the management skills that my mom had, you know? So, like, our house was always clean. And it was a team effort, you know? And it was like, it was like, you came home at, at 5.30, and you did your chore and then you had family prayer and then you ate dinner together. And we always, my mom always had a home cooked meal, Like we literally ate out for dinner on our birthday with, and that was it. So like my mom cooked dinner almost every night. I mean, she did, a, she did teach us how to cook too, which is also another thing that she, which I know now, cause I, I help my kids cook and it's a lot more work to help your kids cook than it is to just cook by yourself so she taught us cooking skills and then you know and there was no question it wasn't like like when I asked my kids to do a chore a lot of times they're like mom you know but when my mom my mom it was like more of like this is your chore and we none of us were ever like mom it was like you just did your chore you know, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure how she did that, like got to that point. So I, I do think about her like management skills on how, and my mom and dad, I mean, they always came to my softball games. They were at my swim meets. Like I do not know how they did everything they did with all the, the nine kids. And like, they never missed scripture study and family home evening. Like they never missed those things. So I'm just really now, as I think of her, I'm just like, I'm in total, like, how did she do that is what I, I can't, I don't know how she did it. Yeah. That's so impressive. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of management, a lot of logistical stuff. Mm-hmm. She's very organized. And that's something that I need to work on. How does your relationship with your mom affect the way you mother? Oh my goodness. So I think <laughs> this is so funny. Cause I always tell Matt, I am turning into my mother. So like, uh, we drove, we had nine kids. So we had this like 
giant white van like that we drove and I remember when we bought the van and it like it was like an old like a taxi kind of van for the airport shuttle or something so it had a no smoking sign on the top of it (laughs) and um I remember (laughs) yeah some stuff we go camping and then my mom was always like making a sandwich on her lap for everybody and passing them back the van and then now I'm like always I'm so we have a transit van right and it's but when we bought it I was like Matt we are not buying a white van we have to have a different color than white I will not have a white van (laughs) and for some reason the white bands are cheaper than the other ones i think everyone has like the stigma against white bands so but we have a black van and it's a ford transit and it's it's nice but we also we got it secondhand from this company that buys rental vans like and so it was like a rental van too I'm like, oh my gosh, Matt, I am turning into my mother. I always say that. And I do for sure make sandwiches on my lap and hand them down the row from everywhere we go. <laughs> so, and if you go somewhere with me, you had better bet you're going to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because I'll make you one. So, but I had a friend tell me once, she's like, I love hanging out with moms because they always have snacks. And I do. I'm like, my van is even just like my mom. My mom had like a porter, a little portable potty in the van. So you could always go to the bathroom anywhere. (laughs) And I totally have a little porter potty in my van. So if you need to go pee, I'm like legit. My sister-in-laws have peed in my little potty on desperate times. That is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I also have a box of snacks underneath that's always full of snacks in desperate times. And my mom always had them, but she did have like little lemon drops in them, but they have food coming in them. So I don't buy those, but I do always have healthy snacks. in my And the kids know, like we went to the park today for park day and all the kids are at my van after and they're like, can we have a snack? And they know I have snacks in my van. Cute. So I guess I am like her in, in many ways, but I'm trying to be, I am not as organized as she was. And I'm trying with the scripture study and, you know, with the prayers and then with the dinner, like my mom would have never eaten dinner with TV involved ever. And we hardly ever watch TV. And those are things that I try to like incorporate, like into our lives. It's like Matt's happy to watch a show and eat at the same time. And I'm like, no. You don't do that as bad for you. So that's something that my mom, you know, taught me. And even like the way that we make foods, like my mom had dinner. She always had a salad. She always had like sides and then like a big, you know, main course. And I think that's something that people don't do anymore. You know, very many places, but I like to like always make sure that we have, you know, a salad on the side or, you know, things like that too. So I I do talk like my mom even and she's she, my mom when she comes to visit me she'll be like well you know what I do and then she'll give me advice on something that she does that's better than the way that I'm doing it which it probably is and then then I'll say that to people and I'll be like ah, I just said that 
<sighs> so I'm impressed with both you and your mom with all the sides and the salad and the stuff and the main dish. I'm like, ugh, I hate, I hate that I have to eat three times a day. <laughs> Imagine feeding, you know, six people. Matt, like if I do not make him food, then he does not eat food. So oh. I, I think if we weren't married, I think if Matt and I didn't get married, he'd be a bachelor. I'm pretty sure. And then he would either be really skinny or really fat because he would either like never eat anything or he would only eat fast food. So, but now he's just kind of in the middle. He's just <laughs> chubby, but not like, not really fat and not really skinny. Like when we met. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, he's, he's just somewhere in the middle, but Yeah. And the missionaries, they come and eat, and they're always like, oh, thank you, salad. <laughs> oh, we know that we can have vegetables at your house. <laughs> That's funny. So, mm-hmm. You do make really good food, too. I love eating at oh. your house. <laughs> thank you. I have mastered making pizza, like real Italian pizza, and it is the bomb. And we even made a brick oven in our backyard. Wow. And we make fire or pizza. That's amazing. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. I've perfected it. We love cooking together. Matt that's and I do. Sweet. Oh, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, what is something that has surprised you about motherhood? Um, I guess like how hard it is and how messy my house is. I guess I never like... I know it's so awful. It like plagues me, but like, I never realized how hard it is to keep up after all these people. And like the time management thing, I don't think it's like something that I had like thought about ever before I had kids. And even when I just had David and like little babies, you don't really have to time manage that well. But when you have like kids that are in school, you have to like manage so much time and emotions and projects and like just to fit it all in the day is something that I I had never thought of before my kids even grew like a little bit bigger so that one is hard well that leads nicely to the next question maybe it's the same answer what is something that's been hard about motherhood I mean I would definitely say the cleaning keeping my house like I guess I have my sister says to me now she's always like having a messy house does not mean failure or you know like and I totally associate it with failure and like when people come to my house and it's messy I'm just like it just is so embarrassing to me and then but I cannot I'm at a point right now where it's like my house was like so clean when we went to sleep last night then we were gone all day we came home and you know, people from church came over for a meeting today and it was messy. And I'm like, how is this house messy? We haven't even been in it. And it was perfectly clean when we had sleep last night. So it just like blows my mind and it stresses me out. And then I hate it when my kids fight. I hate it so much when they treat each other poorly. And I just don't understand why, you know, like why they are treating each other bad and so like Matt and I like we hardly ever fight and so I don't even know where they are like learning this from you know 
but they treat each other bad and it hurts. Like it just makes everything harder, you know, when they fight and when they're mean to each other, when they won't share. So, and then I guess just like, I had already, I've already talked about this, but the stress of like keeping them alive is hard sometimes. So I like have stress dreams about my kids. Like I just had one two nights ago that I was in my backyard and there was a bear in my backyard, but there are bears that live here in North Georgia. And Dixie was like fighting off the bear. Dixie's our dog or labradoodle. And then, um, and then I was telling Evie, Amy, you've got to go inside. And I'm like telling her and she just ignores me. And then I just finally picked her up and ran inside. And then Dixie's running and the bear's running after us. And I like wait for Dixie to come in because she's fighting a bear for us. But then the bear came and then I woke up. So I have dreams like this all the time where I'm like telling my kids to listen and they won't listen to me. And then, you know, the worst thing happens. And it is hard that my kids when they don't listen, because if they would just listen to me, their lives would be a thousand times easier (laughs) (laughs) and safer and better, you know, in all the ways, (laughs) but they won't, I mean, because they have their own minds and their own wills and whatever, which (laughs) so that's hard. I wish that they wouldn't fight and I wish that they would listen because it is so stressful. I, I know so many moms that have lost, like lost children. And it's like, they have this like look of like their arms are empty, even though they have other kids with them. But like, it's like, you can see their aura is just like so much pain and loss. And so like, I guess that's like one of my biggest fears is like losing a child. And it's something that I think about and I, it may have something to do with me losing my dad, you know, when I was really young. So then, yeah, I have, I just, I like, I really stress about keeping my kids safe and it's so hard, you know, and then Matt bought them this moped for Christmas and they like zoom around the neighborhood on it. And it's like, stresses me out so much like because like even on their bikes, you know, all that. So you can, it's like, they are, it's like, having your heart like everything of your life like run around and do really stupid things that it's scary you know (sighs) I guess you have something that you love so much but you're just like it's terrifying too you know Mm -hmm. I just am a little concerned about you Bobby you've said so many times that you get stressed out about this you get stressed out about that like You go roller skating by yourself as a way to like rejuvenate and take care of yourself. Do you do other things to help decompress and like let the stress out? Not really. I mean, I do. I used to jog so much, but then um, I don't, I don't jog as much here because there's no sidewalks and like everyone lives so far away you know, from each other because it's like a rural area and there are like legit bears and skunks and there are poisonous snakes everywhere. (laughs) So like it can be kind of scary to like go jogging out by yourself. Like you really need a partner, you know, I guess I have Dixie. So yeah, I need to do like more yoga and things like that. 
but the skating, I mean, I do go skating on Tuesdays by myself, but then I take all my kids usually on Thursday nights, we go to Christian skate night, <laughs> which is like only a thing they have. We live in really North Georgia. So we're just like 20 minutes from Chattanooga, Tennessee. So, you know, only in Tennessee do they have a Christian skate night. And they only play Christian rock <laughs> at the skating rink. <laughs> so we do that on Thursdays. But I, I'm like, I don't know. I think that is a big thing. Like, I loved parenting in Long Beach because I had a huge, like, church community, I mean, that you were a part of. And I had a huge homeschooling community, and they were, like, family to us. And so I got more support than, you know, than I do here. But we also moved here, like, in January and then March, the pandemic started. So, like, it's been really hard to to make a community, you know, here. And people are terrified to have a community here because they don't want to be around people. So, it has been harder. But, I mean, I guess even, like, I'm so extroverted. Like, when I have a migraine, just talking to someone and having, like, a visitor or a neighbor come and talk to me can, like, pull me, make me feel so much better. So I know it's so bizarre and so extroverted. Just talking to my neighbors and my friends is, is always really helpful too. That's good. Oh, I'm just remembering now you had mentioned that you had had postpartum depression after Amelia was born and mm -hmm. then like eating better and exercising and like doing sleeping and sleeping more. <laughs> that was the other one. It really helped with that. Was that something that you ever talked to a doctor about or your midwives? I think I like kind of mentioned it to my midwife and I feel like she kind of brushed it off too. Oh my word. Uh-huh. So I, I talked to a handful of people about it and they all were like, mm, I think you're fine. But I mean, my neighbor right now is struggling with postpartum depression and she's, she went to her doctor about it and he gave her like medication for it. He's like, oh, but it takes like a whole month for it to start working. And she's like, what? I can't, I can't have this for a month. I, I need to function and hold my baby and feed him, you know, but which she feels like she can't do, you know, without it. So I don't know. I think, but she has her mom, you know, to help her. And I think that is something like that I've never had. I mean, I do think that is something that a lot of American women don't have are like moms that can help them. And, but my mom always did come right after I have a baby. And then I'd always have a sister come right after I have a baby. And my mother-in-law would always come too. And then a friend, my, like my best friend growing up, she always comes right after I have a baby. And so then I do have like several weeks in there where I have someone to help me, you know, good but it's like it's like right after everybody leaves after the newborn you know you have a baby everything's exciting and you have lots of visitors and helpers there but then after that point you're kind of on your own again and that part is hard you know hard for me so what is something about motherhood that brings you joy well I love so like I mean, it's like really little things. Like I love smelling like my babies. Is that so I love smelling all my kids. 
I like, they all have their own smell, but like when I was putting Finney to sleep tonight and I'm like, I'm breastfeeding him in his little toddler bed. And then he just smells like cold cereal and, (laughs) you know, he smells so good. So I love smelling them and I love doing my girl's hair. So I like love doing like braids, my girl's hair and touching their hair, which annoys them sometimes. Then, um, just like seeing, I love seeing them feel really happy. And so like Nora, she, like when she feels something, when she feels really mad, I mean, oh boy, does she let you know, but when she feels really happy, she really like, it looks like it's just like exploding out of her being. And so she just like radiates joy. Like the other day she was just like, she was jumping on the trampoline and she was so excited to show me all these tricks on the trampoline and she's missing like her two front teeth. And then she's got like her two grown teeth on the bottom middle and then missing the the two teeth around them. So she's got like no teeth. she's like missing so many teeth and then she's just like grinning the grin like takes up her whole body and then her hair is ginormous you know and so she's jumping on the trampoline and her hair is just like exploding around her face and her joy is just exploding around her face and I love to see you know her really I love to see Nora really happy because you know, I think, I don't know, for some reason, it's like so special to me when she's really happy. So then, yeah, and I love to see them like David. Right now, it's interesting because he's not a little kid anymore. He's 11. And it's interesting to see him like interact with like the little babies and he like interacts with them like he's a grown up. So it's like way different now because I can see that he thinks Amelia is cute and funny, you know, but like, as a big kid, instead of like a little kid wouldn't notice those sort of things, you know? So I, I love to see him and I love to like see him. Um, like he is obsessed with Finn, but all my kids are obsessed with Finn, but <laughs> he loves Finny and he loved Amelia. He loved all my babies. I guess David loved all the baby, his little siblings he's been obsessed with each one in their turn i guess but right now he's obsessed with finn and he he can you know change finn's diaper and get him dressed for bed and put him to bed he's like he can even like he can babysit finn while i take evie to the doctor and things like that so i love to see how much they love each other so i guess that's why it makes me so mad when they fight because i love to see it when they are loving on each other yeah, and I love to see them play and like the really funny things. Oh my goodness. That they say like when they play Barbies and things like that, it's like, it's so hilarious. Oh, pretend like I'm eight and I'm getting married. This is what Amelia will say. And then, then like the other girls will be like, Amelia, eight is not old enough to get married. And she's like, okay, pretend like I'm 10 then. <laughs> they're like they're like you have to be 16 to get married and then then i'm like no you know you have to be 25 to get married (laughs) so they just like say like ridiculous things and then and like they they're just really fun to to hear talk and finn can talk in like full sentences you know he's smarter than every other baby in the world so (laughs) 
<laughs> so he can like say full sentences even like with the right pronouns and everything and so then but then I'll say Finn you are a genius and he says I'm a genius so funny <laughs> so I love to see them you know and I love to see them play outside and ride bikes and learn new things and that's one of the coolest things about homeschooling is that I um, get to see like the wheels turn in their head. And then when they learn something, you know, and they're like, what? They're like so excited to learn this new thing. Or when their minds are blown, like when they learn about history things and, you know, and it's funny because David's like, you know, what would be so cool if we had one of those phones that hung on the wall? <laughs> like, like, yeah, really cool thing. But they just say funny things. But I love to watch them learn and like, you know, celebrate when they can do something really well. So um, Nora, Evie, and Millie, they all learned how to ride their bikes during the pandemic, right, last year. Millie had just turned four, but because Nora and Evie had learned how to do it, she had to learn how to do it too, you know, and they all... But it's, like, so exciting to, to see someone, like, learn how to ride a bike for the first time and, and to be able to participate in that. And then, like, see how proud they are. And they're even, like, really proud of, like, the fact that I taught them. And they'll tell their friends, like, oh, you don't know how to ride a bike? My mom will teach you. She knows how to teach everyone how to ride a bike. She knows how so to do cute. it. <laughs> like, so, yeah, it's I think I love seeing them learn. Yeah, that's good. That is adorable. My mouth hurts mm -hmm. from smiling so much. <laughs> so sweet. I'm sorry. No, you don't have to apologize. Uh, what uh, advice would you give someone like me who is getting ready to start parenting one day? Okay, so I have like simple advice for you, like really silly and then I also have like, you know, like you need to have a community is something that you need to have. I think a community of moms and something that I like as a homeschooling mom, it's something that I actually, oh, what is the word that I'm looking for? Like when you go out and put your name out there for like a company, what is, what's the word I'm thinking Networking? of? Like yeah, marketing. I, I network for friends, for my children, <laughs> like, but you need to network for yourself. So like find yourself a mom group and like they, I think every woman needs to have an army of women behind her to be successful because like men just don't know. And I love my husband, you know, but like sometimes they just don't get it you know, and they need, you need women and you need woman support. And so find yourself a community. Um, and, and like be their backup and, and have them be your backup and, and don't be afraid to, to ask for help when you need it. So, and then I was going to say is that, um, I learned with a mistake through David, I let him brush his own teeth 
this, this is like the really simple. I let him brush his own teeth. And then he had so many cavities when we went in when he was like five or something. And I was like, what the, we brush our teeth, you know, all the time. I don't understand. The dentist is like, you need to brush his teeth until he's nine years old because oh. he doesn't have like, yeah, the dexterity to brush his own teeth. So you can let him brush and then you need to brush and floss for him, you know, twice a day. And ever since I started doing that, we've never had another cavity. But before that, David had so many cavities. And so I know that sounds so silly, but brush your kids' teeth and take really good care of their teeth because it will affect them the rest of their lives. Having like, um, because I have like teeth that I had cavities in, you know, and then, then now I have to get them replaced because of a bad feeling or something like that. So um, I'd say brush and floss your your kids' teeth. Make sure you do it. <laughs> no kid. And then also, oh man, you have to parent your kid with teaching them how to eat healthy food. Because like I think people think that their kids will automatically do it, but now we have like the, a whole generation of children that will not eat food. So like healthy food or regular food at all. So I think it's something like you think that your kid can't eat regular food, but you don't need to ever feed your kid baby food. Like you can just feed them whatever you're eating, whatever they can manage and they will eat it. And then if you don't, like if you go to a restaurant, they'll be like, oh, here's our kid's menu. It's chicken nuggets and French fries and a hamburger that has no vegetables. It just has ketchup on it and French fries. And that's like what people think that kids should eat here, but kids need to learn how to eat regular human food and you have to teach it to them. And it's a parenting skill that you have to do is parent your kids on how to eat food. And I know it's ridiculous, but it is really true. So, but it's also one of my pet peeves. I feel like kids don't eat regular food anymore. So I'm actually surprised just knowing you as a person, I'm actually surprised we haven't talked about food more <laughs> in this interview. <laughs> I know. Weird, huh? Yeah. yeah. Hey, we did. We already talked about food coloring. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that is like one of my things I know I need to be like, mm, less judgmental about is, <laughs> is about kids eating food. <laughs> I'm like, okay, not my battle, not my battle. But yeah, I love my kids all eat like grown up food, you know? And then, and I feel proud of that. I feel like that's like the one parenting thing that I did right is that my kids eat almost everything. So, except, you know, Evie hates truffles. She hates that flavor. So, which, I don't understand, but Matt like tries to like sneak truffle oil into like mac and cheese and she gets pissed and she can, she can taste it. And she's like, did you put truffle in this? And then she won't eat it. So fancy. <laughs> I know. Well, and then there's Nora who like loves to have like brie on her. Baguette, oh my goodness. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we turned these kids into such snobs. And David will flat out tell people, he'll be like, like, they'll give him something and then, and then he'll be like, does this have food coloring in it? And then 
they'll be like, no. And then he looks at the label. He's like, oh, it does. I can't have it. You trained him well. I know. I've like totally brainwashed him in that area. (laughs) So, yeah. But I mean, he does have the choice. He's older now, so I don't choose. And he did choose to eat like there were a scorpion sucker. It was like a scorpion inside of a sucker and it had like some food coloring in it and he just had to eat it because he wanted to eat a scorpion. (laughs) So that's funny. He's like, it's worth it. (laughs) Yeah. He was like, I just had to, I know it had food coloring in it, but I just really wanted to eat that scorpion. (laughs) So, okay. That's funny. Hmm. Well, Bobby, so. it has been such a joy talking with you. Thank you so much. I know it's so late over where you are, so I really appreciate your time. Oh, um, man, I talked to you so long. I'm sorry if it was too long. No, not at all. I I love it all, and it's it's always so fun talking to you. Do you have anything else you want to add? Hmm. Like, I don't think so. I think just as parent, um, parent your kids to eat good food. And if you don't know how to do something, read a book on it and then make a good decision. Read a couple books on it and then make a good decision. So that would be, I mean, like learn both sides of a lot of things. So like in natural childbirth or, you know, medicated childbirth, like learn about both sides and then make an educated decision about it. And like that goes for the same things for like, for all the parenting things, make sure you look at a, two, a couple of different perspectives and then go with what your gut says is right. So this parenting is hard, but it's also wonderful. I hope that, I don't know, and on your parenting journey, whenever it starts, I hope you love it. I hope so too. Because <laughs> I've only ever focused on the hard parts before. And reflecting on my childhood, I was like, I don't know. It it just seemed so hard for everybody. I don't know why anybody does this. Why why do people choose to do this? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I guess that's like a hard thing. I've been parenting for, you know, 11 years. So like, I can't really see my life. Like, I don't even know what I would do. Like, if I, I know that sounds so weird. I'm like, I don't even know what I would be doing or like what would be. I don't know. It's, it's like, it's so, it's so fulfilling. And, oh, I didn't get to say this, but like when Finn looks at me, every time he sees me, it's like, I'm Christmas morning to him. And like, every time I touch him, he's Christmas morning to me. So like, and all of my, my kids, you know, like, especially as babies and toddlers, like, it's like you are a little kid on Christmas morning every time you got to wake up and hold your baby. So it's like, seriously, I don't know of anything else in life that brings me more joy than like, than smelling my kid's head and like squeezing them and kissing them, you know? So there, I don't know of anything else. It is, even though there are hard things and little sleep and a dirty house, it's all worth it, you know, a thousand times over. So 
and Troy and you are amazing. And so I know because you're focusing on it so much, at least you're going to be putting so much effort into it that they're going to, you're going to be wonderful. No, thanks. I hope so. I definitely feel better equipped now versus 10 years ago. Troy and I just celebrated our 10 year anniversary yesterday. So like, if if I had gotten pregnant, thanks. If I had gotten pregnant when we first got married, I, I don't think I would have handled things well. (laughs) I don't Mm -hmm. think it would have gone very well. So I definitely feel a lot more, what's the word, confident in my ability to handle all the hard stuff. I think you are. I think Troy is, he's going to be a good dad. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. He's pretty great. Mm -hmm. He is. And then you're going to be a good mom. And I think you have, you have the same energy that I had when I was 23. So I think it'll be great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I'm not too old. <laughs> oh. All right. Thanks, Bobby. Yes. Thanks, Laura. Bobby, it was so good to talk to you. It was a joy doing the interview and made me miss you all over again as I edited the audio. Thank you again so much for taking so much time to chat with me and for being so open and honest about everything. For those who don't know, a tubal pregnancy is when the pregnancy is happening outside of the uterus, specifically the fallopian tubes. Like Bobby said, it can be really dangerous for the one who is pregnant. So really glad you're okay, Bobby. Also, this interview was recorded on July 29th, which was the day after Troy and my anniversary. If you, listener, want to come on the podcast and share your experiences of being a mom, send me a message. I'd love to chat. You can reach out to me on the Laura Asks About Motherhood Facebook page or Instagram account. Please subscribe and thanks for listening.